So we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 today. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there so that you can follow along. It's going to be on page 869. The Bible's in the chairs, or if you like the, the newfangled technology, you can follow along on the Version live event. Uh, as you're turning there, I just want to update you, just to let you know I'm fresh back from two weeks in Africa. Um, excited, excited, exciting time there. Um, I'll get it out. Um, Six professions of faith across the two weeks. Um, one man baptized. He took off all of his, what he calls, what, we, what they term as juju. It's basically like uh, magic from the Quran. Essentially, it's what they look at it as. Took off his rings and put, put away his prayer beads and determined that he's going to live a life of faith in front of a very different, uh, uh, a Muslim culture. And so, anyway, that we saw that happen across the lives of six different people. Exciting uh, to be a part of that. And while you weren't necessarily there, you were largely a part of that. I know that you were praying. We, we were told uh, about your prayers, and I could tell you were praying. It was a, it was a great opportunity. And, and, and one final thing is that the church there, in the second week, we worked with a church uh, that has been, we've, you know, it wouldn't be there if, if us and, and our partner church, South Haven, hadn't been going to this village. We've been praying for this for some time. Uh, but got to meet with the church and just see them strengthened. Oh, man, it was amazing, an amazing blessing, uh, not just to be with them, but also to meet the men who have been identified as potential pastors, who we are now training, uh, sending Darbo, Pastor Darbo, to train and equip, and they are learning the basic doctrines of the faith, learning to study the Bible, uh, digging deeper into what the gospel is and what it does in us and through us, and, 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 and it is working. And I'm confident, based on... Um, the work that we've done there and our time there this week, that um, this last week, that soon this church that we've seen kind of sprout out of the ground that, that is not there because we've done something, because Christ has done something through us, uh, that church will soon, uh, in, in, in the years to come, be a partner, not just the point of mission, but a partner in the mission that's going on in Senegal as God calls his people out from among the Muslims there, and so I am grateful uh, to you for allowing me to be a part, uh, for for uh, making certain that this church is a part, because I can't do that by myself. You are a vital uh, part of that, and so God is at work, and I'm glad we get to be involved. But I'm also thankful to be back because, in many ways, this is like I didn't I didn't say this to the first service. You guys, you guys are fortunate. I I was able to to just see this is like putting on. If you're a guy, you'll understand this. That old T-shirt with all the holes in it that's so comfortable that just fits right. Um, that your wife wishes you'd throw away. Coming home and preaching and serving here is like putting on that old ratty T-shirt. Uh, you're the old ratty T-shirt, so I apologize for that uh, analogy, but it fits well. I, I love you and love being able to serve in this way. And so it's an honor to be back this morning to, to preach. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. We'll just jump right in. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight, say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, 
Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And those who seek, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil... I want you to just let that settle for just a second, right? Before you were the already t-shirt today, or in this analogy, you're the evil, right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I think it's probably impossible to overestimate, to exaggerate the importance of prayer in the life of the Christian. I'm not just saying that. It's not, not like I just came up with this and decided, oh, that must be a really important thing. This has been the perspective of, of leaders in the church throughout history. Augustine, writing in the late 300s, early 400s, writes, What can be more excellent than prayer? What is more profitable to our life? What sweeter to our souls? What more sublime in the course of our whole life than the practice of prayer? I think he had a pretty high view of what prayer is to the believer. Matthew Henry, taking a slightly different perspective and different approach, he says, you may as soon find a living man who does not breathe as a living Christian who does not pray. His point is, I think, pretty clear that the, that the prayer for the Christian is as vital as breath to the physical body. Charles Spurgeon whether we like it or not, asking, the, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. James said himself, we do not have because we do not ask. God has called us to ask. I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. But he goes further, and it goes beyond just the life of the Christian, but the life and the strength of the church. He goes on and says in another place, he says, a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. And you might think, oh, that means that this guy's not serving in kids' way or checking people in at the door or making sure that somebody has coffee to drink or serving in the service. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. If he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Here's the context. Neglect of private prayer. You know how much you benefited the people on the ground in Senegal by praying for them? How much your prayers benefit the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ today? Neglect of private prayer, he says, is the locust which devours the strength of the church. When the church is struggling, it's really 
not the fault of the gospel. It's not the weakness of the God who saves. It might really be the weakness of the prayers of the people. That's his point. You may not agree, but he certainly has a perspective. J.C. Ryle, one last one. J.C. Ryle writes, to be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace, without hope, and without heaven. The truth is, as a believer, you may be sitting in this room, Christian, you may be sitting in this room, you've come to sing praises and hear the word preached, but yet you have not prayed. You are missing out on who God is and what he has done. And even though the day that you die, you will be with him forever, until you do, you won't know him close like he longs to be close. You won't know the hope, the, 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 the promise, the grace, and the ways that he longs for you to know it. But this very high view of prayer is not, it's not just extra biblical. It's not just held in these extra biblical perspectives as I've shared here. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, comes to the conclusion as he's closing out his summation of the gospel and life in light of the gospel. And he calls the church to put on the full armor of God that they might go to war. That they might fight in the, in the war, the spiritual war that God not only started but will win. He says, put on the full armor, and he comes to verse 17, and he says to, to, to take up the shield of faith and, and to uh, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And his call into battle is not charge, but pray. Put on the full armor of God that you might get on your knees and pray. It is the primary of the spiritual war that we have been embroiled in because of the sin of mankind and the rebellion of the demons and the darkness and evil that resides in this world. It's not go out and fight, win on your own. It is pray and call the God of power into action. But this high view of prayer doesn't originate with the Apostle Paul either. Yet we see it. We see it most clearly exemplified in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He didn't just teach us about prayer, He modeled it, He exemplified it. And I don't think we can see that in any other writing, in any other expression, more clearly than in this Gospel of Luke. Where Luke is consistently showing us, reminding us that Jesus would withdraw to pray. In fact, he calls it out specifically in chapter 5, verse 16, where he says Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. He would go to places that were lonely and empty where he could focus on prayer to his Father. And we see him do this over and over before every significant event that happens. Jesus is found withdrawing to pray. So I think it's really no surprise that his disciples became curious about prayer. In this time, when he was praying, these men, they see it, they're, they're confronted with it daily as Jesus is withdrawing to pray, as Jesus isn't doing anything of power and, and authority until he has prayed, and now they see him again praying. It should come to us as no surprise that they long to, to learn from him 
Teach us to pray. Well, this is such an important and vital topic to the life of the believer. This is, this is where we are planting ourselves today. Jesus, teach us to pray. And this is where we find ourselves. We, like his disciples, have followed this man, Jesus. If you have been walking with us through this study in Luke, you have been following Jesus all over the region of Galilee. You have been there to see him heal the sick, make the leper clean, to make the blind man see and the dead person rise. You have been there to hear him teaching with great authority and power. You have been there as he, as, as he stood on the mountain and revealed his glory and the light of his glory shone through him. And you were there to hear God speak out of the cloud, this is my son. Listen to him. And you were there when he, resolute, when he resolutely determined to leave Galilee that he might go to Jerusalem so that he could die. We were with him when he determined it and we decided to follow. But if we're going to follow Jesus in this life, we are going to have to follow him in prayer. Because Jesus is not Jesus if he is not praying. You, you, you have a wrong image of him. You have a wrong understanding of him. If you think he was some renegade just running and doing what he determined he would do. At every turn, he sought his father and the will of his father. And he looked for the power of God. And he, and he leaned into the provision and the protection of his father. If we are to continue to follow him in this life, we must then follow him in prayer. So we need to listen intently. We must listen close. It's not so easy as to just say, oh, he said just say these words. Jesus didn't give us a mantra to pray. He gave us a model of prayer. We know he didn't give us a mantra because uh, a couple of different perspectives. When he prayed, he doesn't say this repeatedly. This is not his only words in prayer. But in addition to that, we have two accounts of Jesus teaching people to pray. One in Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount and, and one in Luke as his disciples ask him to teach them to pray. And they're not exactly the same. In fact, if you're familiar with the prayer, you're used to the prayer saying, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't know. That might be King James, and that's the way I've always heard it. Probably you too. So, you know, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. Luke doesn't share that. And, and the commentators say, oh, that's because Luke is just summarizing. He's just, God inspired these words from Luke as much as he inspired those words in Matthew. If he intended us to recite this prayer and only pray these words, they would be identical. I guarantee it. This is not a mantra, it is a model. So we must listen intently, not seeking simply to recite his words. Although, I need to qualify that, absolutely nothing wrong with reciting those words. And in fact, I've been taught, and I think it was Ray Orland that I first heard this from, uh, just to, it's a little more uh, legitimate than me just making this up, but 
uh, Ray Orland, I, th- I think it was him that taught me he's, uh, that, that if you want to pray a, a prayer that you know will be answered affirmatively, like you need a prayer that God will say yes to, pray the prayers of Scripture. This is like pre-approved prayers. Like you know these are the prayers that God wants us to pray, and so you could pray this. If you can get your heart into it and you can understand the words of it and you can mean it and pray it with conviction, pray this prayer, God will answer this prayer, yes, because he longs to answer this prayer, yes. But you don't have to recite it word for word. So we must listen intently and seek to understand the principles that Jesus is teaching us. On the other hand, it is principles he's teaching us. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't write a book on prayer for dummies, like step one with a little picture of a stick figure that's going to bow down, and step one, you know, you got to go to go to this certain place. Okay, step one's done. Now you get down on your knees, you fold your hands, you bow your head. He didn't do that. In this model for prayer, he gave us principles by which we could begin to pray so that as we understand the principles, as we understand the teaching we can then approach him in prayer with confidence that we'll pray a prayer like Jesus prayed prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. This week and next, this week, we'll look at the principles and we'll, we'll see how to pray. Jesus is teaching us how to do it. Maybe not step by step, but in principle, he's teaching us how to do it. Next week, we'll talk about the why to do it. It's clearly answered in this passage. This week, how do we pray? How to pray? Step one, principle one, maybe is a better way to say it. Pray vertically. This is not about a position in prayer. It doesn't mean that you can't lay down in your bed and be praying. right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an attitude of your heart and mind that you are directing your thoughts and prayers to someone in particular. Jesus starts the prayer. He says, pray, Father. Now, this, is a, this is the attitude of who we pray to that then determines everything else about the prayer. We're going to deal with this more next week, but you need to see this. You need to understand this because it's the foundation of prayer. God is not some dis- distant or unconcerned or uncaring God. He is the God who said, let there be light. He is the God who called all things into being. He is the God who breathed life into Adam. He is the God who took the rib and formed the womb. He is the God who the creation praises day in and day out. He is the God who provides for all things, who in, in whom all things hold together. This is this God. And he said, come to me and say, Father. This is not my creation. This is not my name for him. This is his name to us. Come to me as a father who loves you and cares for you. I just happen to be the God who all creation praises. And because of who he is, everything else is shaped by his name. So that even as Luke gets to the, the request portion of the prayer, past the address, Father, he can't move immediately to requests that, that, that deal with us. He must first deal with the Father, praising him, hallowed be your name. Spot.
powerful and majestic and beautiful. Your kingdom come. A prayer that God's mission would be accomplished, that God would have his way in the world, that, that we would understand that it's not our kingdom that's to be established, but that God would finish the work that he began in the garden when he said to the man and to the woman who had just rebelled, I'm sending one who will crush the head of that serpent. Finish that work, O oh Father. Complete that work, O oh God. Such that even as we move to the personal requests, the physical requests that we can't even ask for our needs to be met without them being affected by the will of God. That as we pray to have our needs met, it's not simply so we can have more in this life but that we might have strength to accomplish his will. This last couple of weeks, I saw that so clearly. It's so hot and so dry this time of year in Senegal. And literally, if you're not drinking water, you're just, you're just zapped. You have no strength. You're eating food that's so different. and You don't have the energy. We needed God to provide every day so that we could sit with people who would have no other opportunity to hear his gospel if we had not gone there. So that we would have strength to share the truth, to see his kingdom come. See, I think Jesus' intent here is to help us see that all of our prayer. Every ounce of our prayer is intended to be focused on, surrounded by and completely centered on the God who says, call me Father. In fact, I would suggest two things, two, two principles out of this, two perspectives out of this. Prayer that doesn't hold God's identity, God's glory, and God's mission at their core are powerless words that he is not required to hear nor answer. If our prayers are all about us, I'm not saying God won't hear your prayer, but he's not obligated to listen. Every prayer that we expect God to hear starts and begins and ends and is centered on and is surrounded by and is dependent upon him, our father. But on the other hand, Prayers in which God the Father is the central figure and purpose of the prayer are prayers infused with his power that he promises to hear and answer. You see, when these disciples approached Jesus and they said, teach me to pray, Jesus didn't say, hey, let me teach you to pray a prayer that just might get answered. He didn't say, let me teach you to pray in a way that you'll never know if God wants to hear it or not. Jesus is teaching these men. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching us to pray prayers that, that move God's power, that direct his power, that engage his power. That he longs to answer affirmatively, that we long are able to see him working in. We get to see him moving. We get to see him providing, that we get to see his glory and his mission accomplished. That's the prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray. That's the prayer that Jesus modeled all the way through his life. I think this maybe is no more clear than in his final prayer 
in the garden. He's praying. Luke tells us he's praying so intently that he's sweating drops of blood that he feels the weight of what's about to happen. Matthew tells us that as he's praying, he says this, if there is any other way, if this cup can pass from me, let it be so. You see, Jesus wasn't running to the cross, skipping with joy like a little girl going to get candy at the candy store. He wasn't, woohoo, I get to go and die and suffer. He, had, he, he, he saw the weight of what he's about to do. He felt the weight, the gravity. He understood it. And he said, if there is any other way that your kingdom can come, if there's any other way that your people can be forgiven, if there is any other way that you could remain holy and still forgive sins, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Don't think Jesus was being selfish. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because the very next line is what demonstrates the power of this prayer. But not my will. Yours be done. See, Jesus was so concerned about the glory of his father. He was so concerned about the mission of God, about his kingdom being established, about God completing the work that he had begun at the moment that man and woman fell into sin. That he didn't consider himself first, but the glory of his God, the glory of his father, the kingdom that he would establish through him. And so, I, I long for your glory, Father, so much that if I must suffer, if I must die, then that, let it be so. And we know it was God's will. Because not long after he prayed that prayer, men came into the garden, guards came into the garden to arrest him to bring him to be tried and the next morning crucified. This was God's will. And in, yes, that competing desire, God said to Jesus, no, about this. But yes, my son, I love you. And you can die so that I might be glorified and my people might be forgiven. And that is a selfless, God-centered, God-honoring prayer. I think it stands in contrast to many of our prayers. But this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. To pray vertically. But it wasn't just, Jesus wasn't just, just he wasn't just praying for himself and God. He wasn't praying with just the two of them in mind. In addition to seeing God's will done, he was longing for the benefit and the blessing of God's people. It brings us to the next perspective or the next principle. We pray vertically. We pray to the Father, about the Father, about the Father's will, longing to see him glorified. And we pray horizontally. Again, this is not about a position that we take on in prayer. This is about an attitude of who we are most concerned about being the beneficiary of our prayer. Jesus sets that example for us. His prayer 
If answered in the affirmative, not my will but yours be done, if God's going to answer that in the affirmative, is going to lead Jesus to great suffering and difficulty. But it was necessary so that you and I could stand forgiven, so that you and I could pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It had to happen. It had to happen. You can see it even in this prayer. When Jesus is teaching us to pray, he doesn't say, hey, ask God for my daily bread or my sins forgiven or my lead me not into temptation. He uses plural pronouns. He speaks to us and calls us to pray broader than, than, than narrow. He calls us to pray for each other. We see this again. We could go back to Ephesus where Paul's writing to the church about spiritual warfare. And he says to them, put on the full armor of God. Praying. And then he finishes that verse, verse 18. He finishes that verse by saying, pray for all the saints. We pray vertically. But we're not praying vertically about ourselves. We pray vertically so that we can be concerned horizontally. So that we can be concerned about a broader circle than just me, my four, and no more. In fact, I would just encourage you to do a little test. Are you praying like God would have you pray? Are you praying in the way that Jesus teaches you to pray? And I'm not asking you to change what you've written on the card. I would encourage you to potentially change the heart of what you wrote on the card. But I would assume that what you wrote on that card this morning is something that is near and dear to you, that you feel weight for, that you know that God must work in. Who's the sole beneficiary of that prayer? Who benefits from that prayer? Oh, I'm praying for my kids. I, I, I'm glad you are, and I hope you are. I would encourage you to pray for them. But are you praying for your kids simply so you don't have to deal with the pain and suffering of your kids? Like you want your kids to obey so that you don't have to deal with the hardship that comes with difficult children? Like, God, please, you've got to deal with these kids. Just so you're not sanctified by the difficulty and learning to love people who are difficult? Are you the sole beneficiary of your prayer? Jesus teaches us to pray in such a way that it benefits not just us, but everyone. doesn't mean we can't be the beneficiary of our prayer. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew that what was coming after his death, after the suffering, he knew it was going to be amazing. We can benefit from our prayer. But it's been my experience, and it's in my own life. I see this clearly in my own heart and in my own prayers as I've grown. I've seen, often I pray not to be a benefit to others or a blessing to anyone else in the body of Christ, but just so that I got an easier life. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. We pray vertically. We pray horizontally. And we pray dependently. This is about the attitude we take up in prayer. Just because Jesus has given us permission to approach the God of the universe and call him Father doesn't mean we are allowed to walk up and start making demands as if we are the one in authority. But aren't we guilty of that at times? God, no, you don't understand. You've got to do this. I mean, if God would just listen to me, Boy, then 
Then our country would be in good shape if God would just do it my way. Look at the requests he makes. Every one of them demonstrate our dependence upon God. They demonstrate God in a position of authority. They demonstrate God in a position of power. They demonstrate God as the provider. And us as those who are needy. Prayer, two, two things I want you to see here. Prayer doesn't give us a right to approach God demanding anything, but rather depending on him for everything. There's not a piece of our life, not an important piece of our life, that's not encapsulated in these few sentences. Everything that matters about life is encapsulated here in this model prayer. God having his way, God being most glorified, God fulfilling his mission. God providing us food that we might live and strength, to, strength that we might do his will. God giving us forgiveness of our sins that we can stand in his presence forever. God protecting our path ahead of us. The truth is, if he doesn't act, where are we? What control do we really have? What power are we really able to exercise? What change are we really able to make? We are needy, dependent creatures. It is the core, it is one of the core pieces of how he created us. He never created us to stand on our own or go our own way or do our own thing. He created us to depend on him. And when we did try to go our own way, well, you can talk to Adam and Eve about that at some point. What happened? Prayer. Doesn't give us a right to approach God demanding anything, but rather depending on him for everything. Second, prayer was never given to make us independent of God, but to teach us the joy of our dependence on him. See, here's the thing. As we go to him in prayer, many of us are, are praying for things that just make us not feel the need for him. Make us feel like we can stand on our own. We're asking him for things that, that would make us uh, 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 think in some way that all of a sudden we're self-sufficient. That's not the purpose of this. We pray dependently because prayer is intended to show us our dependence. And the, I think the, the writer of Proverbs, I think he gets it. He says, this, this guy who writes Proverbs in 30, verse 8 through 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. It's very similar to what Jesus is praying for. Pray, give me today's bread. Not tomorrow, today. Lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Prayer is never intended by God to make us free from him, but to make us more dependent on him. But being dependent upon him is actually where we find the greatest sense of our joy when the God of the heavens provides for us like a father. Is there no greater sense of satisfaction and joy I saw this exemplified in, in, in the second team in Senegal. 
in this village, we call it Tokal. It's two women, widows. They were husband, they were married to the same man. It's common in their, that culture to have multiple wives. And these two women uh, married to the same man had been widowed because he'd killed in a car accident about uh, two years ago. In that culture, without a man to provide, they are left floundering. It's just the way it is. It's, a very, it's the way things work there. They are very poor, and they are very needy, and they recognize it. And over the last couple of years, people have been going to them and telling and sharing stories about how much Jesus loves them. And so they've been praying to Jesus that he would provide. So we sat and talked to one of the, to, to the women the first day. The woman told us a story of how she knew Jesus loved them. See, they didn't have money that day to eat. She had nothing to cook for her children. And so she prayed that Jesus would provide. She gets up from her prayer and she goes about her daily chores, one of which is to go to the well and draw water. So she goes and she carries her buckets with her. She gets to the well. She begins to draw her water and fill her buckets. And a man comes. And there in that culture, it is, not, it is woman's work to draw water from the well. Men just don't do it. In fact, we get teased because we go and help the ladies on our trips. We go and help them draw water in our compound. Um, we don't have to draw water in Tokal, but in Kayan, we get teased for going to the well and drawing water because that's woman's work. <clears throat> This woman was drawing water from the well, and a man came up, and because it's woman's work, he wasn't about to draw his own water. And he asked if she would draw it. So she stopped what she was doing. She began to fill his bucket. And she gets finished, and she's going to draw her own. And he said, no, no, I got another bucket. I need, I need this water filled. She fills that bucket. It might just seem like any other day to her. Except that morning she had prayed that Jesus would provide so that she could eat. So that her children could eat. Without asking for it. Without saying anything about it. She finished drawing from the well and filling this man's buckets of water. And he gave her 500 sifa. It's less than a dollar. For us, it doesn't sound like a whole lot. But for her, she was able to go and buy rice. She was able to buy stuff to put in that rice so that they ate. So that they could eat. Not so that they could have a retirement account. Not so that they could live with excess and abundance. Oh. And that 500 sifa. Oh, she rejoiced in that 500 sifa. Because she saw how God had provided for her. It was amazing because all that she had begun to understand about Jesus, all that she had begun to see in his grace, she was just looking for a meal. As we told her that morning that he had more to offer her. And this other woman, when we left that compound, that, those two women, 
had not just seen Jesus as a provider of a meal, but the provider of life. And they trusted him for not just eating some rice, but for eternal life. And the next day we saw them. She walks into this compound full of Muslim men. And I couldn't ever understand every word she was saying, but she was singing a song. And I understood one word. Isa. Isa. She kept singing it over and over. And I asked, what's she saying? And Darius, she's singing praises to Jesus because he has provided for her. I said, is that a song that somebody taught her? Uh -uh. She made that up. She wants to tell everybody about her Savior, Jesus. When's the last time you rejoiced over a dollar? When's the last time we prayed to Christ as if our very lives depended on it? This is the way he says to pray. Seeking our Father who longs to give us good gifts. Dependent upon him. Not freed from him, but finding joy in the provision of our powerful and authoritative God who says, come to me. Come to me. And I will provide for you like you're my child. I dare say we need to learn to pray this way. Pray vertically, we pray horizontally. We pray dependently and we pray persistently. This is about enduring in prayer. It's about, about starting a prayer and not stopping until we see Jesus, as we see the answer come. Jesus' parable shows us this. I mean, he comes to us and he says, oh, look at this guy. Look at this guy. He, he goes and, 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 and he doesn't get an answer because the friend is inside. He gets an answer because he's impudent, because he won't quit asking for bread. He's telling us, don't quit asking. Any prayer worth praying is a prayer worth praying until it is answered yes or no. You've probably heard it. You've probably heard that, that every prayer is answered. I've said this here before, and I believe it's true. Every prayer gets answered. It's either answered yes, no, or wait. Yes, I'll do this, and God acts, and we see him move, and we are overjoyed. No, God is definitively standing in our way, keeping us from something, keeping, protecting us from our own ignorance of what is coming if we get all that we ask for. We saw that Jesus' prayer. On the, at, at, if this cup, if, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. No, but your will be done. I'll go to the cross if necessary for your purposes. Yes. Wait. What kind of answer is wait? It's the kind of answer that we keep asking in, in response to. You don't see God say no and you can't say that he said yes, then you keep Pray. 
until he says no or yes, you pray. And you don't stop praying until he says yes or no. Don't, let, let, let's deal with this, right? So God is not the curmudgeoning old grumpy man next door that doesn't want to get out of bed and give you bread. He is the loving father who will give you good gifts. And if we're evil and can give our children good gifts, how much more will this perfect, holy, righteous, powerful God give those who ask him? We pray persistently. We don't stop praying until he says yes or he says no. And finally, we pray expectantly. This is about looking at our prayers with confidence. God longs to answer our prayer. He longs to give us good gifts. He is the Father who wants to give us good gifts. But in many cases, he waits until we ask. I love how Luke closes this. In verse 13, he writes, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give this Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There is no gift greater than the Holy Spirit. There is no better gift you can receive. You see, in the Holy Spirit, in receiving the Holy Spirit from God, we get God. We get him in us, indwelling us. We get his presence. We get his power to accomplish the, the eternal We get his protection. The Bible tells us that the spirit came to be a comforter. In the midst of difficulty, who can comfort better than the God who knows all things? Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, the seal of our inheritance. He is the confidence that what we endure today is not the end, but the best is yet to come. When we gain the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we get God. And when we have God, we have everything. There is no need. There is no difficulty. There is no struggle. There is no trial that cannot be faced. There is no problem. There is no, there is no challenge. There is no, no, no obstacle in front of us that cannot be overcome. When we have God, there is nothing that can take us away from him. There is nothing that can remove him from us or us from him. When we ask God and we approach him in prayer, seeking him, he gives us himself and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And so, let's pray. We pray just like Jesus, vertically, Horizontally, dependently, persistently, and expectantly. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, your name is holy and majestic and beautiful, worthy of praise and adoration and devotion. You're high above all others. 
may you accomplish your will. Would you complete all that you have begun? Would you have your way in this world, Father? Provide for us. Not so much that we don't need you and not so, much, and not so little that we would still and defame your name. Provide for us that we might find our joy and our dependence on you and your provision for us. Forgive us, Father. We are weak. Our flesh wages war against our spirits. Forgive our sins. And strengthen us to forgive others. Give us an understanding of the unending grace and mercy that has come to us through Jesus Christ that we might forgive in the same way we have been forgiven. Protect our path ahead of us. We know that we live in a war-filled time. Often in physical ways, but always in spiritual ways. There is an enemy out to destroy us. Protect our path. That we might always walk in a way that honors you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.